You are listening to a no-show radio production. Mind your ears while we unpack the unusual. This is the strangest story I have ever heard. Take a seat, grab a drink, and listen to my words. Podcast where two buds talk trash about how their favorite shows begin. We're the two buds. I'm Alex. And I'm Spencer. And we've been teasing this for a whole season. We're just going to talk about Mad Men today. I mean, every episode we talk about Mad Men, but this time it's just Mad Men. We're just going to contain it now. <laughs> we, are, we We've built up, and that's actually been the true purpose of First all along, is just talk about Mad Men. <laughs> we tricked you. We got you. Here we are. <laughs> so, you know, Spencer, you, you, we've discussed multiple times so far that between us, you've watched it multiple times. I've watched it once and a third, Ooh. maybe, generously. So I just, I, I, I guess, being your bud, I know this has an impact on some of your creativeness. Mm-hmm. That's what the kids call it. But like, do you, what got you started in Mad Men? Did you watch it when it first came out? Like what, what, how? Tell me. So I did not watch Mad Men at first. At the time, I think when I first started hearing about Mad Men, it was already underway. I think it was back when I was watching The Walking Dead live when it first came out. That or Breaking Bad, whichever one came first. I think it was Walking Dead. Uh, so I was watching, was watching that and I had seen trailers for Mad Men, but I was, I was stupid. Like... <laughs> Like many people, where I saw the trailers, and the trailers very intentionally advertised it as, man, sex, and whiskey, and, and money, and suits, and, and white guys, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I did not know what it was other than, oh, it's just a, a show about a bunch of dudes in suits getting drunk and fucking ladies. Like, that's, is that all the show is? Because I don't want to watch that. And I didn't. For a very long time, I think I hopped in as season five was wrapping up, so I didn't get in until late. But now I watch, I think I've watched Mad Men more times than I've watched The Office. Damn. Like, the quintessential rewatch this show show. Mm -hmm. I go back to Mad Men as often as I go back to, like, Community and Arrested Development and all those, like, bite-sized shows you can just eat up. I... Forget what actually got me in, other than I think I just needed something to watch on Netflix, and I started watching it, and the writing and the dialogue was just so good, and I couldn't turn away from it. How did you get your start with Mad Men? When did you decide to watch it? I think it was you, bud. Really? Um, okay, so this is an audio medium, and you guys don't really know who I look like, unless, or who, what I look like, unless you check out our website at noshowradio.com. But... I went through a pretty big phase of doing pinup looks, 50s looks. I still have a bunch of vintage dresses in my closet. I can do victory rolls in my sleep. But that was my main draw to Mad Men was seeing all the fashion, the art, 
white men in suits. <laughs> I so, so I always was told, like, oh, hey, you should watch this show. It seems very your style because that's all people really know. Like, oh, look at your aesthetic. You must like this TV show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I just wasn't into it. I'm not usually into dramas. And it most definitely was. And there's other stuff to watch. So I didn't watch it. But as it kept going and, you know, there's hype behind it and I'm realizing or I'm hearing that's a good show. You, you know, you get into that thing of, oh, man, when do you jump in? When don't you? I don't think I actually watched it until it was done. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, forgive me, friends and family who might be listening, if you're the one that got me hooked on this, because I'm going to put it on Spencer because memories are false as all hell, guys. <laughs> uh, I just remember uh, I was talking about it on Skype at one point. Oh, no, it had to be before you because we had the Jared Brecca thing. Mm-hmm. So who the fuck got me hooked? <clears throat> Someone. I, boy, this would make for a great story if I knew anything. Maybe it was just a Netflix. I'll click and watch it. I go, I'll someday I'll complete a full thought, guys. Uh, so the, <laughs> the Jared Brecca thing, uh, Spencer and I met while playing Star Wars, The Old Republic, MMO. And my main character, I always had kind of in the back of my head that her appearance, her celebrity twin would be uh, Christina Hendricks. Particularly Christina Hendricks when she was in Firefly, not in Mad Men as Joan. but. Though I found out, oh, hey, Jared's celebrity twin is Don Draper, John Hamm. I'm like, oh, isn't this a fun coinkydink? So here's the thing about having forgetful bitch disease is that all stories end up becoming the same thing. So I guess, yeah, we'll just stick with someone told me. Sorry, I forgot who you are. <laughs> uh, and or I found it on Netflix. And I was like, yeah, let's give it a go. Cool story, right? <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, God. Um. Gosh, and you know what? I don't think I had a real full appreciation of the story for a while. For mm-hmm. a while. And I really was there for the dresses. Because someone probably did say, this, you'd like this for this. I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, because, the, God, the, sometimes, you know, you see shows that are in the decades. And they're trying, but they look costumey. They did a really good job with the costumes looking real in this. It wasn't like, you know, Penny Dreadful. Where it's like, sure, it's Victorian fashion, but also those fucking prints. Like, calm yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and again, I have an appreciation for it, but I definitely have not watched it a whole bunch. And I think it's because I just, I really get bored of the boring parts. The The good parts are gold, in my opinion, but the boring parts are long, very long. And I can only stand so much of Don fucking up his life by having affairs. Man, man, okay. So I can't harp you for that because... It's an opinion that everybody has. Um, so rewatching Mad Men uh, as much as I have, I'd probably go back to it like, I would say every year and a half. That seems fair. Like, I, I think I've only gone through it like five times. It's been out for a while. And I think I've only been through the last season like, yeah, I think I've been through the last season only like four. Like, I think I've been through the last season the least. Okay. So I don't know what it is. I really like all of it. Like, I, it's not that I don't understand what people find boring about it. It's that the things that I think people find boring, I don't. And that's not like a, oh, I see the higher art in this. (laughs) It's just, I'm thoroughly entertained by these people just trying to do their jobs because I find that field fascinating and I think there is a lot of repetition, especially in Dawn's life, and I think that can get that can get annoying and that can get tedious. The fact that yeah, every season Dawn is going to have like three different affairs, like it's it's just going to happen. Like I'm I'm sure that magazines like 
were be were, when when they're like going over like oh the new casting for the new season it was probably like oh now we've got blah 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 and she's probably gonna be the next dawn girl and stuff like that like i'm almost positive that happened but i still like it because i really like like of of all the the characters in like tv media i think i really like dawn's progression from start to finish the best because it it feels like a like a real complicated human being that doesn't go through character arcs dawn is is a man who's like he turns 40 in the show like he he's he's already had his arc he's already formed his character he he's been to war he's done the whole thing he came back like him having this job is like his final stage so him continuously making the same mistakes it's like this is who he is like this is what he turned into it's not like this is the base point that we have to improve upon it's like everything that got him up until the point where we met him is why he does these things and it it's not great and i think i think my favorite piece of mad men media is a fucking trailer that I post shamelessly and share with everyone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shill it here again because it, <laughs> because it doesn't have many views. But the season seven premiere trailer called "Change the Conversation" is the most exemplary fucking like. It's a very short trailer with very good music, and I think it perfectly sums up why I like Dawn. I don't get to talk about Mad Men much. Because most people that I know who like Mad Men, like most guys that I know who like Mad Men, are like the kind of guys that want to dress and act like Don Draper. They're the kind of guys that would like Google like a how to pick up chicks like Don Draper video. Not realizing that like him picking up chicks is not him being cool. It's it's like a coping mechanism for the fact that he's sad and miserable and like... Change the Conversation is a really good trailer, and what it is, is it's not showing off season seven, it's showing off the seasons before that. And it is a highlight of all these times where all of his co-workers and his family and his friends shout at him and throw things at him and tell him what an utter piece of shit he is. And in the context of all of those scenes, normally he lashes back. Normally he argues. Normally he, like, stomps his feet or gets huffy or, like, keeps a cool head and, like, makes some kind of snarky comeback and it's like, haha, got him. But in this trailer, he, you see him and he's, like, recalling all of these times that all of these things have happened. And over the course of the trailer, he's just slowly curling up on the couch and he's curling up into a defensive little fetal position. Because he hears everything that everyone has ever said to him, and he believes it. Because he is this supremely handsome, supremely talented, super rich man that can't get his shit together, can't get his family to love him, he can't find love, he can't find friends, he finds some meaning in his work, and it is all he has, and it's so tumultuous, and he just... Ah, I like him. I like him so much because he he feels honest. Like I think if there were points where like like I think if he made up with his family, I feel like if he did this whole thing and got his wife back and and like had a montage near the end of him like 
working out and, and doing like the whole Mr. Incredible thing where he just like gets his shit together and that's it. And that's like, that's him becoming a cool guy. I think I'd buy it less, but how, how deep into spoilers are we getting? Just like uh, in, in our Arista Development rerun, fucking go for it. Go ham. So, yeah, like, I, I think if Don Draper just suddenly got his shit together and a switch was flipped or he had, like, a conversation with a bartender and then, like, suddenly went on a self-help kick and cured all of these things about him that are so deeply ingrained in his psyche, that would suck. But, like, the last episode of Mad Men has him, he's run away, he's been missing for weeks, people think that he's killed himself. Like, it's just a joke at the office. Like, oh, we haven't heard- maybe he just killed himself. Haha, ha, I would. And it's, like, making fun of this poor guy's fucking struggle. And it's like, what does he have to worry about? He's- he's blah blah blah. He's fucking rich. Why is he whining? And it's like, you see him, and he just keeps running, and he keeps running, and he- he makes it out to the desert and just drives cars for a while. Like a fucking asshole in his stupid flannel. And- and- he makes it back out to California in the last fucking episode of Mad Men, where, like, so a lot of people think that the show ends with him killing himself, and everything that, like, you're seeing from him is, like, purgatory or some kind of vision or something. Like, even though the fucking director has said <clears throat> that, like, unequivocally, no, he, he survives, like, he, he's blah blah blah, a bunch of people still think that the last episode is a metaphor for Don killing himself? Because boy oh boy is the lid blown off, this dude is depressed as fuck, and he talks like he's gonna kill himself. Like he calls and he says goodbye to people, and like hangs up abruptly on them, and like he can barely move around and he's always leaning on shit and he just looks fucking dirty and miserable. And the last like ten minutes of the show are him, he's at a fucking monastery, because that's just where he happened to end up. And he goes to a seminar and he listens to another guy who is in a, like a similar position as him, where he doesn't think that his family loves him anymore, and he has a good job but nobody at his work actually gives a fuck about him. And he can turn it on for a while, he can turn it on when people are looking at him, and he can make it seem like everything's alright. But when people look away, it's like a light in the fridge going off when nobody's around. and. And the guy starts sobbing, and Dawn walks over and gives him a big hug and just starts openly fucking crying with this guy for one of, like, the few times in the fucking show. And it's such a beautiful fucking progression of just letting yourself feel things. And it's, it's again, so much more satisfying than if he suddenly fixed things or if he... he like, something happened where things just fell into place, because it, the best ending that you get for Dawn isn't, like, a statement that, oh, and he fixed everything. It's, you see him letting himself feel, and you see him starting to work on himself. And it's, like, starting to understand that he is not a bad person because he does bad things. And that he does bad things, not because he's a bad person, but because bad things have happened to him. And it's just so fucking lovely, and he's such a sweet man. <laughs> and, and he ruins every relationship he's ever been in. But maybe, just maybe, you get a little bit of hope that things might be better for him. And it's, uh, it's the nicest fucking thing, Alex. <laughs> 
What are your thoughts? What do you what do you think of the show? Well, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I wonder if some of this impact <laughs> this wasn't made for you, not uh, for for myself. When you, when you mentioned how nice it was to see someone, particularly Don, mm-hmm. expressing his feelings, that kind of open sob at the end, and this might be hitting too hard. But like, do you think that's a reflection, or maybe the reason why it's impactful to you too is this concept in our society of toxic masculinity? Where yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> cool, cool. I was I was doing a slow build to that on, on accident, but um, you know, as a woman, I can't really t- speak too much about toxic masculinity. I could. <laughs> I could. Just like men could talk about abortion if they wanted to. <laughs> you could. Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Um, do you have more on that? Because I you have the mic. You can talk about whatever you want. Well, yeah. <laughs> Pass the mic. No, so I... Uh, if you're unaware, toxic masculinity is this idea that we have this masculine construct in our society, and it fucks over if we're going by the fact that we have a two-gender society, which we don't. But if we did, it fucks over both males and females. And it's because toxic masculinity is saying you have to be macho, you can't express your feelings, and you don't really even deserve to have feelings because real men don't cry. That That's is like <laughs> particularly for this nutshell of a moment, right? And that comes up with issues because then if you can't express yourself, then you're going to have issues in your relationship because relationships are all about communication. And if you can't talk about your stresses and your anger and your frustrations, then you're going to find other ways to vent that. And that can be in abuse. It could be in affairs. It could be in just really unhappy pairings. And no one really ever knows why. And we do know why, kind of. It's because we have this idea of toxic masculinity, which is saying men can't talk about their feelings, among other stuff. There's a bunch of other stuff that gets packed into it. I'm just trying to speed speed run. <laughs> Speed run. Speed run. This this super complicated ancient fucking concept of yeah. Oh, well, speed run sociology. Here we go. Um, Google it, guys. I, we're not that kind of podcast. I don't know what Google you want from me. And so, since the way toxic toxic masculinity affects my life isn't the same way it's going to affect your life, mostly I just have I'm going to pass the mic right back to you in the sense of how do you feel like the show reflects toxic masculinity, your experiences with it, whatever you're comfortable talking about, man. Yeah. So again. Toxic masculinity, I think a lot of people, my friends, namely, they get a little cringy and tense when you bring it up because it's like, oh, it's one of those words. And it's not. It's, you know, the, the same way that women were forced into gender roles for a long time. The idea is that toxic masculinity is this idea that men are still stuck in their gender roles and it, it's not good for them either. And it sucks and it sucks for them. and. In the way that this show expresses it is really, really, really good. And I think it's the reason I didn't start watching it earlier and started watching it later. Because I think the idea of Mad Men is to trick you with that whole concept. And I think it was deliberate. I don't think there was a change in heart because they've talked about this concept before. But the show starts. And again, it advertises itself very strongly as... Oh, look at Dawn, this handsome rich man with a suit and a fancy job who lives in New York and fucks all these dames. And a lot of the trailers that I remember are things that I don't fucking remember from the show. It's like all of the guys in the office, like sitting around laughing at a bar and stuff. And there's scenes that I think were just in those early trailers. And I think the idea is it's to lure in those guys that, like, this is the ideal. Because it's not just, like, the idea of, like, what a man should be. It's also the idea of, like, what is the American ideal of success? And Dawn's story is all about 
he achieves that success. Like by the end of the show, Don has millions of dollars based on like selling the company and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And he has all these awards and he has like the respect of everyone in the industry. And, you know, as the show will show you, he basically gets every girl that he wants through persistence and charm and all sorts of other means. And him having all those affairs, it's a tricky subject, but the idea is it's he's trying to get validation through love and through sex because he doesn't understand the difference between the two. Because that's a really hard pill to swallow and it's a really tough field to navigate and to dissect and to, you know, in in our society there there's not really much of a the the way that it's portrayed you wouldn't know that there's much of a difference and so he he loves his wife and he wants to keep her around and he doesn't want her to have affairs but he goes out every night and and finds someone new and it's it's just so that he can be held and so that somebody can want him and it's it's a really sad concept and it's not entirely sympathetic it's because of course he is hurting people when he does these things and he doesn't always acknowledge that that's what he's doing and he lies about it because he knows that it's wrong and you know but by the end it's made very clear that he has all these things he you know he's a sex magnet he's wicked successful and he's handsome and what does he have to worry about and all this other stuff but by the end, he's held it together so much, being charming every episode, and you start seeing the cracks in those last two seasons, and finally he just breaks because this isn't a lifestyle that is satisfying in any way, shape, or form. This ideal of what a man should be is not a satisfying prospect. It's... It's not. It's really, really fucking dangerous to your mental health and to the people around you. And like you said, you, you can't really have happy pairings when you subscribe completely to this idea because it, it doesn't lend itself to sustaining a family. Having a family is sort of just like a badge that you put on your belt. It's And the thing is, Dawn's not the only character going through that. Like, everyone is suffering as... Part of the times, Pete Campbell, who's the show's weasel, you get to see his family and how he grew up and how everyone treats him. And there's this really aggressive idea of you have to be the best and you have to succeed and you have to succeed at the expense of everyone else because you are the best. And it's this way that certain classes of people get brought up. And that's how Pete Campbell thinks for most of the show. And he's trying to emulate Dawn because he thinks that Dawn is the best kind of guy there is, and he completely destroys his own life doing shit like that. You have Salvador, my favorite fucking side character in the whole show, who happens to be closeted in this very, very bad time to be that way in history. And he gets fucking ousted. He gets... He gets outed and then he gets like politically removed from the business so that they don't lose money. And he, I'm, and I'm still broken up about it because he never comes back. He never gets his cameo. He never, you never see him again. But it's the times and it's the idea of a lot of Mad Men. And it's, it's not just for the boys, but it's for, for all the characters across all the spheres. It's very much a show about 
who you should be in America and not modern America, though it does carry over in a lot of senses because a lot of the show is a timepiece, but it's very much a show about who you should be versus what feels right and what feels good versus what is, you know, actually right to do. And it's complicated and it doesn't really give you solid answers on any of that. It actually gets really gray in a lot of fucking areas. I don't know if you remember that. There's there's sexual violence in the show and there's there's you know points in the show where where people are whored out by their own businesses and you know it's not it's it's not peachy and the show is not neat and the messages are not clean but they're there and they're buried and I miss shows that have complicated characters with complicated dialogue that act in complicated, unsatisfying ways when characters act in ways that you're like, no, come on, man. Like, I don't feel like I get that anymore. Maybe I'm just not watching enough good TV. <laughs> well, I mean, I won't say no to that. But I'd also <laughs> say finding good TV is hard. We are, we're stuck in a generation now. Of, I think you mentioned it in our Christmas special episode. The lowest common denominator. Our lowest common denominator is pretty fucking low these days. Yeah. Well, and not to rag on anybody that really likes Dawn and wants to dress up like Dawn, but a lot of people in the early Mad Men fandom were guys that wanted to dress and comb their hair like Dawn, and there were, like, courses on how to get girls like Dawn Draper, and, and how to talk like Dawn, and stuff like that is missing the point, because Dawn had to learn to talk that way. He had to learn to dress that way, and he learned those things for bad reasons. And at the end of the show, he rejects those reasons and doesn't like them anymore and realizes that they were harmful to his fucking psyche and made him want to kill himself. <laughs> so, it's kind of like some people for a long time were missing the point, and then when the show got more complicated than that, a lot of them... Because I'm pretty sure people were dropping off by the final season. Like, it ends. It has, like, a good definitive ending, and it feels like that's where it was supposed to end. But uh, I, I remember reading that by the time the finale came out, a lot of people had dropped off. And I think it's because it lost that surface-level appeal of hot rich guy doing hot rich guy things. And, you know, and then all the, all the babes in the background start doing you know, career things, and that's always uncomfortable to watch them succeed like that. Joan becoming a fucking millionaire partner. Peggy becoming coffee chief. Damn. I think Peggy is such an interesting character. I But before this, I watched a clip of, like, the evolution of Peggy, and it was just a, a series of clips of her from, like, the very first episode all the way to, like, the last episode. Mm -hmm. And she does really start out as this mousy girl who is apologizing for everything. And then by the end of it, she's like, why are you fucking wasting my time? And I think she probably has one of the more obvious character developments. Like, again, Dawn has this nice slow burn. If you're paying attention, you're picking up on these details. It's, I think Dawn's is far more fulfilling. But I think Peggy, you see your far more traditional character development. But I also think that it's not like, like a switch suddenly. She's a cutthroat. Is that I think you see that pretty early on. Even mm -hmm. though she's apologetic. It, again, it's this, this way that you learn to be in society of... You know, you, you have to be quiet and shy. But then she's put in an environment that she's kind of given permission to be loud. And mm -hmm. I know there's a moment like between her and Joni where Joni's 
I couldn't tell you episode or anything, but she's kind of getting mad at Peggy and Peggy's like standing her ground. And it's like this really groundbreaking moment between the two of them where Joan is no longer her mentor mm-hmm. and can't bully her anymore. But it also means like, and that's kind of Joan's shtick at the same time. Everyone here is dealing with confidence issues. And mm-hmm. I think that moment when, when Peggy's like, no, no, we're on the same level now. If anything, I may be above you. <laughs> it's like a real eye opening. And I, I wish it's later on in the show that we get more Joan's story. Mm-hmm. But she's super fucking fascinating. I, again, I, I work on quotes, right? And there's that moment where Peggy's like, oh, someone dumped you? I am mortal. Like, <laughs> she, she is so aware of who she is and what she can provide and is so crazy, wicked smart. Mm-hmm. And, but she also isn't the type of woman to be super manipulative either. She's pretty upfront in what she can provide and she recognizes like, oh, hey, guys are going to flirt with me because I got these huge tits. <sighs> okay, guys, show them that I'm more than tits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also isn't a, a bra burner necessarily either. It's that she, she is able to maintain such a grasp on femininity while being a powerhouse where I think Peggy, you see more of her hitting a masculine trend to hit her mark. Oh, yeah. And and then the times when you see her be feminine, there's almost backlash for it. Like when she calls, um, God, who I want to say Pete's not Pete. There's a rat in her apartment. Oh, Stan? Stan, yeah. She calls yep. Stan to come take care of it. And it's like, it's almost like she's trying to pull a Joni. Like, oh, yeah, if you come over here and kill this rat, I'll, I'll make it worth your while. And he's like, no, you won't. And like hangs up on her immediately <laughs> because that's not her thing. Her thing isn't sexuality. Her thing is to be a freaking boss. And grab life by the balls and show them like this is how you fucking do things and so like these weird well, i say weird but these vulnerable moments are usually met tongue-in-cheek by her co-workers because it's weird to see her vulnerable when she's had when she's been putting on this whole air of i don't need anybody i'm a strong independent woman <laughs> and suddenly she's like wait no i need somebody fuck you man whatever we're out like <laughs> she, she, and, and i don't know i think so i think peggy joan and of course i i have a special interest of betty mm-hmm. I, I, Really like her as a character. Again, someone who isn't necessarily evil, just a product of their raising and oh, their yeah. life. And it's just, it's interesting, I guess. But I would say that, and I, I, it's going to sound bad. I'm like, my favorite girl, I don't remember her name. It's the young receptionist Don gets with and like marries her and she moves off to California. Is it Megan? Megan. Megan. That's probably my favorite story arc of the whole show. Mm-hmm. And... I think of the awful birthday party where she sings that ridiculous French song mm-hmm. and how winceworthy it was. But then she's also like, I'm going to go to California and go do my own thing. And he's like, wait, what? And it's such a difference from Betty, who's who required more, just required more. Mm-hmm. And here's Megan, this, again, strong, independent woman who also realizes, oh, I don't really need you. And you need someone to need you. I'm not into this, and I don't think you're into this either. And it's sad, but it's not like destructive by the end mm-hmm. of it. Well, I think by that point, it's nice to see them both like seeing two characters who are starting to understand what they want mm-hmm. and not stay together and harm themselves over it. Yeah, it's it's uh-huh. maybe one of the more mature affairs I think he has. Because then yeah. there's again, I don't. <laughs> I've watched this once in a third. Because mm-hmm. usually the point I drop off for a while is when he's having the affair with the woman who played Velma in the Scooby-Doo movies. <laughs> um, and she was in Freaks and Geeks. Do not know the actress's name, but... Um, what's her name? Sylvia in the show? Sure. Or something. She's the, the doctor's wife. Yeah. Lives, yeah. And I just remember thinking that character was super unflattering. 
And there wasn't a whole lot of redeeming qualities to her. Not that every woman character needs to have those qualities. It, it, it was an interesting foil after everything he's been through. You kind of go mm-hmm. back to this woman who's very needy. Uh, and then he's kind of into it. And then he's like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm into it, but I'm not. And, you know, you can mark each season by which girl he's with. Yeah. But I, I just, I really liked the Megan arc. I think it was probably one of the more mature ways. And you see it maybe a little bit, but uh, we've, we've teased that before. Does Betty fall under the Skylar effect? So having watched Breaking Bad afterwards, I like Skylar a lot. And I don't think I ever hated Skylar. I think Skylar is a character who acts exactly the way that somebody in that situation would act. And I think Betty might be the same way. Like you said, I think I don't think Betty is a great person. I don't think Betty has a lot of redeeming moments. But I think they make it very, very, very clear with with all the time you get to spend with the people who raised her. She is a product of the times. She is a very, very hard woman. And things have to be a certain way. And that often conflicts with children who are experimenting and trying to be all sorts of things. And her husband, who doesn't know what he wants to be. and. I think Betty is a really good foil to Dawn. I I think their conversations are some of the best, and it also sort of explains why Dawn is where he is. And I I I like it. I like when she goes for Dawn's fucking throat because she knows how vulnerable he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she's an antagonist. I don't like her, but I think I like her as a character. And I think everything she does makes sense. I don't think she's written to be evil. I think she's written to be someone who was raised by a jackass and a horrible, abusive mother who, like, picked on her and starved her for being fat as a kid. Like, God, God, it's, it's scary. It's so scary. For, for those who aren't aware of Skylar Effect, being that the, the way we observe media, mm-hmm. and what Spencer was saying earlier is that Betty and Skylar from Breaking Bad are reacting ways that are normal and human. But when you are in the moment and you're on the side of the character who might not necessarily be making the best choices, again, we won't say bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the case of Breaking Bad, bad guy. But, you know, there's also the concept, no, I, there's no such idea or there's no such thing as a bad guy. You make some bad decisions, but you might not be a bad guy. And anyway, so there are these... Women in particular who are reacting to men in particular making these horrible decisions mm-hmm. that are life ruining, and they get <laughs> mad. And the way that it gets absorbed sometimes is like, well, can't you just can't you tell can't you tell that he is doing all this because he has cancer and he wants to make sure that you have money and can't you tell all the stuff? It's like that's not why he's fucking doing it, and she knows it. Yeah, she's supposed to be that yeah. character that's supposed to bring you back to reality and remind you this guy is not a good guy or not not a good guy not making good decisions mm-hmm. but again the society we live in and this might be a flash towards the whole toxic masculinity thing too is that if a woman is yelling then she's crazy and has no right to do so when the guy is just doing his job of being a provider so like why are women mad at men doing their gender roles <laughs> and so a lot of people hated on skylar when she was losing her shit at mm-hmm. her husband. It's like, no, no. If your husband was doing this, wouldn't you be a little upset? Like, it's a very yeah. human response. Mm-hmm. And so we, we definitely see that with, with Betty. And again, her, her husband's off cheating a bunch of times. And she 
she and him, I think, share the idea of they are both insecure and they crave love and they, mm-hmm. they reach out for it in really inappropriate ways. So the neighbor kid who like has a huge crush on her and and it's not like she is necessarily giving him false hope or like flirting back with him, but she sees that there's this young man, nine years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> who is doting on her. And you're she's in this relationship with a grown man who, how long has it been since he's since she's felt someone care about her mm-hmm. and it's super inappropriate, but in, in, even in, you can tell she's like, she's walking a line. She, I don't think Betty would ever do. She wouldn't jump on a kid. Right. Like that's, that's not Betty's yeah. character, but she will milk all the attention she can get. Oh yeah. And instead of having affairs, she's usually doing stuff that makes her the victim mm-hmm. or gets people to, to get mad at her. And it's because that's like the only way she learned how to get attention. Is if you if you're a fuck up, then people are gonna notice you, and she never learned that you can you can get noticed. And I don't know that that breaks my heart in a way, right? Oh yeah. Just, and then she's doing the same thing to her her kids too, which is like the the vicious cycle of it all is that she doesn't have the awareness to recognize that product of the time too. Like this wasn't stuff that people fucking thought about. Mm-hmm. It's like this is just how life is, and so she's becoming just as hard as her parents were towards her kids, particularly her daughter. Her daughter fucking hates her. And she ends up dying of cancer. And like, <laughs> which a story trope, right? Like big, bad, mean person dies of cancer, has to like come to terms. I thought it was really interesting that she did her best to like not want to make a big deal out of it. It's again, selfish in its own way of like, oh, if no one knows I'm, I'm dying of cancer, I'm like, I'll forever be a victim. But also there's a conversation she has with Dawn saying, you know, I want this to be as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. I, you haven't been here, so don't come here to get the kids. We need this. I don't want them to worry. I don't want them to have to think about their mom dying. And I think that in a way is such a mom thought. And a whole series where she has not been the most exemplary mom. Mm -hmm. I think there is that part of her that really does care about her kids and does care about their welfare, even though she never learned how to be a good mom. And, and that's the thing, you know. Going back to her mother, when when she was young, she was a, a big girl, and her mother hated that, and resented her for it, and bullied her, and starved her until she was thin, because that is how she had to be. And then Betty went on to be a model, because again, she she needed that sort of validation, and there's not just with Glenn is the kid? Sure. Sure. Glenn. Glenn the child boy. There's a really good scene, and it's after she's married Henry. Henry's, like, in the bathroom or taking a call or something, and Betty's waiting for him. And one of, the, like, the skis bag politicians comes by and is, like, flirting with her. And she's like, like, blah, 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 I, I have three children. And, and he's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, no. Can you believe that I've had three children? She shows off because I think it's after she's lost all of her new weight. Mm. So, like, she's back to being, like, her ideal figure again. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it doesn't, like, because the second Henry shows up, she rats the guy out. Like, you know, get him fired, like, blah, blah, blah. But it's that attention. It's, Mm -hmm. she uses him to get that hit, but she would never, like, actually engage with this guy. It's just, there's, there's that that need for that kind of validation and it it sucks and it sucks because that's how she's programmed to think and feel and she wants that for her kids she wants she wants her her kids who are shitty like her her little boys to act well behaved and and 
not to freak out or show emotion, and she wants Sally to dress properly and, and it not scream or speak her mind. And that's a big thing with Betty, is, is kind of like Joan, that idea of, like, owning the femininity and not, like, you don't scream in front of guys because guys hate that. Mm-hmm. Betty only ever really screams at her kids. When, like, when she gets into arguments, normally they're with her husbands. They're not with, like, they're not in open public. And when she is in public and can't scream and yell at people, she smokes a lot. <laughs> because she has a lot to say, and she is really smart. And she is feisty and has lots of fucking opinions, and, like, would probably chew most of these motherfuckers out. But she can't, because she doesn't think that she can, so... She smokes a cigarette, and in almost every scene where she's in public, she is smoking a cigarette to keep herself under control, and it kills her. <laughs> it, Imagine her in, like, the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like 80s, 90s. She would have been some business owner, CEO she, of something. She would have had her own, like, talent agency. She would have been, yeah. like, training young models and, like, showing them the ropes and, like, had her own fucking company. It would have been... Would have been something. And I'm like, not sure if this was necessarily a purpose of the show, but mm-hmm. we'll keep coming back to this idea of product of the time, of, of just recognizing sometimes you are born in the wrong era, mm-hmm. but you can't do anything about that. You might be a wicked smart woman. You have to crawl your way up to become top of a, of a marketing company because there's no other option for you because of the times. I don't know. Well, and I, I think it goes to the show's credit. I don't necessarily think that the ladies of the show have necessarily happy endings. Because Joan is like, you know, they sell the company and she goes to the bigger company. And it's like, this is the height of her success. Like, like what woman has ever, you know, managed to crawl up this far? And <laughs> she finds that in this new place where people don't know her, she's back to just being a hot redhead with, with big tits and nobody respects her. Mm-hmm. And and people are making lewd comments and she can't take it anymore because she got over that. She she made it mm-hmm. and they refuse to help her out. So she fucks over the company and like <laughs> rather than sit and take it for millions and millions of dollars, she goes back down to the bottom to start her own company because she would rather be her own boss on a smaller scale than have to endure this shit for success. And I think I think there's a really good moral in that but it also fucking sucks it sucks to have made it that far and and then be knocked down by just the way that people are because there's a point that nobody like sterling Draper, cooper draper cooper price whatever would ever fucking look at joan the wrong way because she's built herself there mm-hmm. but going to this big big company with like 82 fucking floors of nonsense like how how could you manage and <laughs> Like, you were talking about Peggy earlier. Peggy becomes, like, more outspoken and a bit more cutthroat and a bit more in, like, knocking other people down. And it sucks that in order to succeed, she had to, like, in order to make it in in a field that normally wouldn't pay her any mind, she had to develop a lot of these, like... Because, again, she starts off being really sweet and really polite, but that doesn't lend itself to success in this world for her. And she has to train herself to be more like them. And it's sad to see, because again, when she has those moments of vulnerability, she gets picked on. Do you remember when she gets the roses? 
that no. like she sees her uh her secretary gets a big bundle of roses and she thinks they're for her so she walks oh. around with them all day yeah and and then she has to fire her secretary and everyone's giving her shit and she was just really flustered because she thought someone liked her enough to send her those roses mm-hmm. and i think i think she got stiffed when it came to stan i I know they were kind of building a romance there, but, like, her last fucking scene of the show is Stan being like, I love you, and then she's like, oh, I guess I love you too, and then they're together, and that, that's, her, that's her big prize for making it through the whole show. And I get, like, her reward is the fact that she's, like, a big fucking copy executive at this massive company. Like, she got her thing. Mm-hmm. But I think tacking on a, a rando boy to the end of that I, it does. It never sits well. It makes a little more sense each time, but it's never like I don't know. It's the Disney effect that you have a woman who's reached her I don't know her achievement. So what do you do? You marry her off. You make sure that she finds love. Yeah, and it might have been there. They usually at that point that means they just didn't know what else to do. In my opinion. Yeah, man. I I also should... don't sit well with Pete's ending. Yeah. I don't understand after again my my singular watch through. I have mm-hmm. such a hard time of him suddenly spitting and being like, "No, I'm going to take my wife, I'm going to start a new life, and we're going to be a happy family." Like that to me still makes no sense. That's it feels forced. I think he he could get there, but in the space of the time of the show, for me it feels really forced. I th- I think it is really rushed. I think it goes to that idea that Pete spends the whole show trying to mimic Dawn. And and that's Pete's whole gig is that he's a budget Don. He runs away from his problems when he goes to when he goes to California. He like sloppily cheats on his wife. Not that there's like a good way to do it, but he doesn't even like try to hide the fact that he's doing it. And his wife doesn't care at first. She's like, fine, this is what men do. Just keep it away from my fucking daughter and also like don't act like we're we're still in love and it falls apart. Mm-hmm. And and Pete tries very, very hard to be this ideal, like Don did, but he can't keep up with it because he's not built for it. And he doesn't have the emotional control that Don has to keep it all in. So very often, Pete freaks out and lashes out at people. But it gets to this point where I think, because, again, Pete ends up with that other company because he goes to Duck Phillips and he's like, you know what? This all fucking sucks. Like, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the city. I'm sick of this atmosphere. Get me a job. Get me a job in the Midwest. I want to be away from cities. I'm, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a really sad fucking scene where he, uh, he gets Trudy's permission to come see his daughter. And he comes and he brings her, like, a big Barbie. And it's a big, ugly, stupid-looking fucking doll. And he brings it back to her. And his daughter is shy around him because she doesn't know who he is. Yep. Because her daughter, like, his daughter hit that stage of, like, having memories after he was gone. So he comes back and his daughter doesn't know who the fuck he is and it hits him. And, you know, he, he, he's trying very hard to do all these things. He tries to keep his mother in line and he acts like it's such a big hassle, but he's still doing it. He, like, lives with his mom and takes care of her and he acts like it's a big fucking shit show. He could put her in a home. He could do all these things, but he refuses to because that's his mother. Mm -hmm. And even though he hates his mother, he's not going to do that to her. And he, like, there are inklings in there that Pete maybe has some kind of code that's been corrupted by the fact that he's had to live this life. Like, 
isn't his first scene he like buys a fucking gun and he's waving a gun around the office and showing off pictures of his hot young wife <laughs> to all the guys and they're all smoking cigars in his office like that's like pete is that guy who's like that fucking loser that really wants to be a cool guy and tries too hard to be a cool guy and pete's ending is figuring out that fuck that that's not who i want to be and i i think he i understand why he jumps at it really fast i don't know why trudy accepts it mm -hmm. but when he gets that new job it's like i'm gonna have all this money i can start over i can get away from the city and get away from all these mistakes but i'm not gonna run away i'm gonna start over because it's not like i'm gonna run away and just forget all this i'm gonna run away and I'm going to bring my wife, and I'm going to bring my daughter, and we're going to start over, and it's going to be a whole new fucking world, and we're not going to live in cramped-ass shitty apartments, we're not going to have to compete with other fucking people just to, you know, be validated in our positions of power. So he goes back, and I think Trudy should have denied his plea, maybe at first, like, maybe there should have been some road to work on it, but yeah, I think Trudy being like, yeah, I get you, let's do it, let's, let's go, let's just leave. <laughs> Um, cause I, I think it presents Trudy in a bad light where Pete's like, I have a jet and all this money now. I haven't really changed as a person, but look at my jet. Well, and I, I think Trudy's an interesting character as far as like all the female characters. She's one of the few that doesn't get a lot of in-depth story. Yeah. Right. I, and yeah. she's like a side character to a side character. Mm -hmm. But even your, your initial impressions of her is that she is what we think now of a 50s housewife. Yes. She cares about the way her house looks, and she even like kind of talks like you think a 50s housewife would, and she's all about mm -hmm. presentation, presentation, presentation. And then that conversation you mentioned earlier, like, don't pretend we're in love. This mm -hmm. is just what happens. But, like, she, I think she's aware of the charade that they all do. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and you're fucking it up. You yeah. just made it that much harder. So don't don't expect me to keep up as well like i did i played my part and you're you aren't really like respecting the part that i've played because mm -hmm. again product of time that's how she was raised to be and so it might be a little bit of the element too coming back maybe what they're trying to hit is she her big dream is to be the perfect 50s housewife mm -hmm. and so accepting his offer to go fly off might be her thinking like oh cool 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 can't wait to get back to what i've always wanted and mm -hmm. again having a kid and realizing Life isn't a Sears commercial on TV, right? Yes. That that she is actually experiencing this life now instead of what even back then Hollywood media was telling her would be like. But also, I think originally my, my issue has always been I do not like that Pete move. I don't, I don't understand it. But I think you're right that I don't understand why Trudy said yes. That is probably the bigger hang up of why she was so willing to go with it. And that in turn makes Pete's decision look weird and that doesn't fit right either. Yeah. So. Again, possibly end of the show. They needed they needed a send off, right? Well, if they could have had three or four more episodes, maybe there would have been more discussions between those two. Totally. And I, I think you hit on something really potent, which is I think she was raised in the same way as Pete, where it's like, you have to be this kind of lady and Pete has to be this kind of guy. And they've been trying really hard to fill those roles and it hasn't worked for them. They are they are divorced, they have a they have a kid in a broken home that that isn't developing right they they are just like in these terrible throws where like trudy is like completely supported by her parents and and pete is is off 
just trying to scrape by to make it work because mm-hmm. he, he he can't even pretend to make it look like it's functioning. And I think maybe there was a better angle to, and I think maybe they were going for this and I think maybe it would have been, it would have served them better to, to make it maybe a bit more clear or like, just make it more understood. Oh, this is what we're doing. Cause like at this point it's an inference. It's not even anything that like seems direct. I think the, the angle that, we're we're both people that are that are being you know uh, oppressed and, and completely devastated by our roles. But here's a chance to get away from it. Here's here's a chance to get away from this big city atmosphere, this like competitive nature of things, and and just get back to what matters. But again, I, I don't think they establish that either. I am still I, I'm not sure that it makes complete sense for Trudy to be like. Yeah, this is awesome. Other than the presentation of my husband is finally the rich, handsome fellow with a jet I wanted him to be, which isn't Trudy, or maybe it is. I don't know. Trudy doesn't get a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Alison Brie is a fantastic actress. God, isn't she though? But Trudy is a side character to a side character. <laughs> I like Roger. Roger has a good ending. Roger is. <sighs> I really, I forgot about Roger for a second, but I really. I like the actor. I like his voice. Mm-hmm. I like his presence on screen. I just, I think also a character like he got just the right amount of screen time where you kind of yep. wish you knew more about Roger. But I think if you knew more about Roger, it wouldn't be yeah. as impactful. Well, I think Roger's another cool character in that product of the times and product of how you're raised in this wasn't his dream job. His dad started this company and handed him the keys and he didn't want to get married. He was like, business arranged Mm -hmm. so like the fact that he's divorced and like cheated on his wife a bunch isn't as impactful as dawn falling in love with a woman and then still being in love with that woman as he fucks his way around town and then tries to justify it like roger never wanted to be married he never he never wanted to be in love Mm -hmm. like he just wanted to to fuck ladies and drink booze and smoke cigars and be rich because that's all he knew and he was a dumb playboy that was given the, the keys to the castle, and he he doesn't live well, and he gets he gets married to his secretary in like the second season, and that goes over about as well as you could expect. <laughs> and his daughter tries joining a commune, and, and he tries like pulling her like literally dragging her out of it, and, and he realizes that his life is busted and like maybe wanting to get free from society isn't such a bad thing and they buy the company and he's just hanging out and as they're emptying out the offices he's just playing the organ and riding around on all these stupid toys just having fun because it's the last like this is it he's he gets to retire after this he doesn't have to be a part of the company anymore and at first that shocked him but then it's like but i never wanted this like this this isn't like who i am and i'm i'm bad at it i'm a good account man because i like to have fun and because people like being around me but i don't like that being for work and he he ends up absconding with megan's mom who's also like a like a free loving like polygamous type that didn't want to get married and they get together and just hang out in cafes and and I like the idea that they just become an old polygamous couple that doesn't give a fuck and they're just going to have fun until they're in their graves. How do you feel about uh, the relationship between him and Joan? I like it because I like that by the end of it, 
Because at first it's, oh, they, they had a thing once, and now he's like, he's still into her and he still wants to bang and blah, blah, blah. And they have the kid together. Yeah, they, they have, um, the baby is hers, mm -hmm. uh, or his. It is hers, but his, his product was used in the battle. <laughs> but I really like where it ends up, where it's like, he, he is in love with her. Maybe not in a, I want to get married and, and be your faithful husband kind of way, but he loves her and he looks out for her and he wants to be a part of his son's life because he wasn't a part of his daughter's life and she ended up being a train wreck. But maybe not a train wreck, maybe she just needs to get away from the life that they were providing. Mm -hmm. But there, there is something I like about he just wants to be a part of this kid's life because he has some responsibility for this kid. and. That doesn't have to mean getting back together with Joan. He can just be good to her and take care of her and then take care of the kid in all the ways that she lets him. And then in the meantime, he gets to spend the rest of his days with someone who's like-minded and won't chastise him for just being who he is because there's no changing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I do like like their, their little moments together, Roger and Joan. And I... I think maybe I would have liked to see them together, but I think more than that, I like seeing Joan on her own. I like after this endless wave of suitors, Joan just being like, nope, <laughs> like at my own leisure, and then starting her own business. I think Roger maybe doesn't respect a lot of people. Yes. But he has such a huge respect for Joan. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes to say, like, Roger, Dawn in particular. What was the lie? Like she, I, I was terrified of you. Like there, she's a scary woman. There, there's an element of her that is scary because she's intimidating because she knows what she wants and she does not play the yes sir, no sir. Would you like a cup of coffee game? She will put you in your place, mm -hmm. but also isn't a total jerk about it. She, she's very charismatic. I guess mm -hmm. the best thing. And these are guys who aren't used to that. And I don't even think that she ever hits necessarily a maternal role, because I feel like when she's put in a maternal role for either of them, she's like, this is fucking ridiculous. I'm out. I'm not mm. your mom. I, this is not my job. <laughs> and, and we see other, again, women characters who kind of struggle with this. Like, do you take on a maternal role? Do you not? And there's times where I think the relationship is the most winsworthy, and also there's times where it's like one of the best highlighted side stories, right? Mm. Where I don't like particularly early on when he's trying to manipulate her into caring for him. Yes. But also she stands her ground and is like, oh, no. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that goes to the, you know, what happens with a lot of men in this show is they just, like, all of the cheating and, and all of the bravado, it's just because they want somebody to care about them and take mm -hmm. care of them because nobody takes care of them because that's, that's not how it works. And it's sad and it's, you know... Don grew up without a proper family, and, and nobody loved him, and he was terribly abused, and now any chance for anyone to treat him like they love him or care about him, he'll take it. And so will Roger, and so will Pete, and so will all these characters, and it never feels like a malicious thing that they're doing to hurt their significant others, it just feels like a thing where they're, they're deprived and they can't open up, so they can't let their significant other love them in the ways that they need to be loved because that would require them opening up and being honest and truthful with them about what they need and so you so you end up with oh, oh it's so good it's so it's nice seeing vulnerable male characters that aren't made fun of they're mm -hmm. not the butt of a joke that they are dealing with these very real 
life struggles. And if they are about the joke, it's like the joke isn't funny. You as yeah. the audience are aware. Oh, someone made made a crack, but ooh, that's not cool, man. Like you shouldn't have said that. And I don't think there's ever a point watching the show that you think, oh wow, he's being such a baby. Ha 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 ha. So, um, oh gosh, I guess we should start wrapping up. But I think the last character I want to talk about, if if you, because he, so I, I'll say if you recall him, because he is kind of a blank face in the background. But Ted Shaw, the name's familiar. He's the the other Don. He's the Don from the rival company. That's like. A goody two-shoes. Gotcha. Okay. Um, he's the one that Peggy has an affair with. Gotcha. And he he tries running away to California with his family, and I think his wife is sick, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And, and he's having this affair because, you know, he, he... But it's sad. You see him come in, and his wife is resting on the bed, and his kids are watching TV, and he comes and he sits down between them, and he does... He, like, makes the shush because he doesn't want them to wake up the mom. But they just jungle Jim on top of him, and he just sits there and he smiles as they watch TV. And like, I I like Ted Shaw as someone who is not abused. He's just a a normal average Joe who's mm-hmm. making these mistakes because of the atmosphere. And I I really like him and Peggy. I like their affair. Not like I think their affair is my favorite because it's 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 almost like he's like it doesn't feel like a fling. It feels like he actually honestly might be in love with her mm-hmm. because he respects her and, and they have a lot in common. And But he's he's too good for it. Like, their affair is getting to be a little too much and he, he tries to end it. He doesn't try to, to do the, the Dawn thing where he just kind of like lets it fizzle out and lets them figure it out. Like, he actually honestly tries to end it and tries to fix things. And I'm pretty sure he tells his wife what happened. Mm-hmm. And... I think the last scene we get of Ted Shaw is him and Dawn are both creative directors on a team of like 18 creative directors at this new place. And all Ted Shaw wanted to ever do was just write copy. He never wanted to be in charge. He never wanted, he's just a creative guy that wanted to draw pictures and make people buy things. And the last shot we get of them is they're sitting together at the table and someone some rando is giving like a don draper style speech and it's not that bad but it's this realization for don that there's 18 of me in this room like i'm i'm not needed here Mm -hmm. and and he picks up and goes and ted shaw just kind of looks at him go and it's with sad eyes and then ted just kind of looks back to the presentation kind of leans on his hand and he has like this tired expression but he's like totally content to be there because all he ever wanted to do was be a part of this creative process, and he just happened to be good enough at it to get risen up. But getting risen up put him in this climate where he was going to be faced with all these things that were affecting, you know, these powerful, handsome men in suits. And he wasn't built to handle that, because he's just kind of like a down-home, normal, average Joe's. Like, like I, I liked him. I liked him as a foil to Dawn. I liked there being this is more akin to somebody's dad. This is more akin to, like, your average good fella. And it's like, how does, like, what if he didn't have a tragic backstory? What if, what if he was, you know, what if he's just a, a, not even a great guy, just like a decent guy thrown into this scenario? How would he deal with it? And Mm -hmm. I liked seeing that. I liked seeing how, how a normal human being (laughs) would handle these circumstances. And the thing is, it's still not great. You don't need to be damaged to have these things happen to you. Um, 
but I I liked him as a side character near the end game. I liked him as a as a device for Peggy, and I liked him as a as a foil to Dawn. Mm-hmm. Do we got anything else? Um, I, the only other thing I can think of that I feel like is important, but I don't know. You can tell me like eh, sure, whatever. Uh, and I, I I only know vague concepts. There's the mm-hmm. woman Don visits in California, who was like his yep. adoptive mom. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And that's, his, that's all um, I got. Oh, so that's uh, so for for the audience, if they if they didn't watch Mad Men, but also don't care about spoilers, that is um, so Don Don Draper is not his real name. Um, he is Dick Whitman. Don Draper was his commanding officer in Korea, and he um, so Dick Whitman got leave to go home because of his injuries and Don Draper died in an explosion. Um, and there was a mix-up because the government can't do anything right and they labeled the corpse as Dick Whitman and they gave him Don Draper's papers to go home. So he lived his new life as Don Draper and the woman he visits in California is Don Draper's widow. So she is. finds him when she finds out that Don Draper is alive and moving around. And at first they're kind of adversarial, but then she sees that he's wounded and kind of takes him in. And she does kind of fill that adopted mom kind of role. They're not like, they never have a romance. She's older than he is. And she takes care of him. And she's the only, he, I think he, he tells Peggy um, when he finds out that she's died. He tells her that, she was the only woman who actually knew him and the only woman who actually loved him. And it wasn't the love in the way that he always seeks. It was the love in the kind of way that someone just really cares about you and wants you to be okay. And I, I think that love is similar to Roger's love for Joan. Yeah. <laughs> and this idea of exploring love, right? That, that love doesn't always have to be romantic, doesn't always have to be platonic. Sometimes it's weird and has layers and it isn't what everyone thinks. You can't fit it on a candy heart, right? Yeah. And again, and affection doesn't have to be sex. And that's something the show really hammers in with all the sex it shows off is some of this is meaningless and all it's going to do is drain you. <laughs> so, so yeah, like that's one other thing I could think of that was like really impactful to me from the show was in that story arc slash that character growth when you realize that there was this character that he was, and also kind of taking care of, right? Like he sent her money mm-hmm. and there, there was a threat that, you know, Betty might find out or whichever wife might find out. Yeah. And the danger and of living two lives. His, uh, this was season one. Do you remember Adam? Nope. His baby brother? Nope. <laughs> his, uh, Don gets a big award, ends up in the papers, and his face being in the papers, his baby brother, his, like, biological, not his biological, I think it's his half-brother? Still technically so, biological. Still biological, but not, like, his, his, like, actual, like, it's, it's from, like, I forget what it is, I think it's his... It might not even be half-brother. I think it's his stepmother's son. Okay. I, I forget. It's Don Draper had a very, very complicated upbringing. <laughs> but his brother is working as a janitor now in New York and sees him in the paper and comes to visit him. And it's a complete threat to everything that Don has built for anyone to learn that he's somebody else, for his family to learn. And, and all Adam wants is to see how his brother's doing and to be a part of his life. And Don refuses. Don tries to pay him off. Don tries to, to yell at him to make him go away. And he ends up giving Adam like $5,000 to never show up again. And uh, 
later on, um, Dawn gets a package in the mail and it's all these like things about him. Like it, it's like, like all these old like mementos that Adam saved, just remembering his older brother who died and also all of the money that, that Dawn paid him to go away. And he finds out that Adam hanged himself. And there's a, there's a lot of moments in the show where like a lot, there's some of them are background things I found out and I didn't pick up on them because normally I watch shows in the background. There's a lot of moments where Adam is in the background and and sometimes Dawn thinks that he sees Adam and sometimes Adam is just in the shot. And it's not just Adam, there's other characters too, but like Dawn is haunted by all these people and like he, in order to protect this false life, he he drove his brother away and driving his brother away killed him. And, and like Dawn has to live with all these shadows on his back, like the fact that his, his kids never got to meet Anna Draper. And, you know, they never got to meet his, his baby brother and they, they were never going to know about how he was raised or any of this. And man, it's really, it's a sad, sad fucking show. Food, it is, food for it thought. Is as, as we're careful glamorous. about language, right? Yeah. Um, something to say that Don drove his baby brother to suicide. That's a heavy, heavy term there. <laughs> um, it is. It was the, the final pin. Obviously, Adam was a very sad person, and he brings that up when he's talking to Dawn. I was going to say, it's, um, like, it's, it's not necessarily Dawn's fault. That was a decision his brother made. His actions had impact, but, you know, the idea that's the, no one's fault, someone killed 13 reasons why. It's not <laughs> okay. everybody else's fault that somebody did that. Just like, I need to, in case this makes the cut, or even Patreon, be aware. We're aware. Language is important. Continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, buddy, that's a really heavy note to end on, if this ends up being where it ends on. This is your platform. You mentioned earlier you don't get to talk about Mad Men a lot. Is there anything else you want to cover? Nope. I really, really like character shows. I like, like, and that's the thing. This show is just a bunch of people in an office, and I really, really enjoy it. I really enjoy the boring parts because I, I could... I could read a whole book that is just characters talking to each other. I have done that. My my favorite book of all time is just a three-person family trying to figure shit out. Yeah, I, I like Mad Men. And when, when things happen, when there are suicides, because there's a few, when, when they're like, there are like moments, they feel like real moments in a real person's life. They don't feel like TV. And... I like it. I like a show that feels like these are real humans and this is what real people go through. Even though that's not the case, it feels that way. And any piece of writing that can make you think that these are real people is a good piece of writing. I'm inclined to agree. Well then, you know, I I, I can't even feel comfortable saying I'm a fan of Mad Men. I've enjoyed the show. Saying I'm a fan makes it seem like I know a lot more than I do when I clearly don't. However, I think this is a really enjoyable piece of media. It is really well done. And if you haven't somehow in 2019 watched this because we are swamped with media to watch, do yourself a flavor, go ahead, start this up on Netflix. It's going to be worth your time. It's just, it's a good show. Yeah, I would, my advisement is because it does get a little, like there are dips in it. I would not binge it. I think if you binge it, you could burn yourself out. I would say take it season by season. Take it at your own pace. If you're not fully entertained by it, then take it away by chunks, because I think that's how I went through it the first time. And I think once you've seen the whole picture, then you can binge it as many times as you want. Good advice from a pro. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> Drink water. Drink lots of water. 
Do stretches. Don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not even going to do our usual send-off on this. Because we know we're right. We know. We know we're right about all of it. I don't know. This seems like an even more opinion-laid thing. We didn't really state a whole lot of facts. Just, mm-hmm. you know. Hey, if you want to talk about Mad Men, though, feel free to come hang out on our Discord. It's in the show notes, as it always is. I don't have anything else to sell to you guys today. So get out of here. Go. It's over. It's done. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.